Well, I have to be short this morning. By that, I don't mean I have to stoop over as I walk around. I mean I don't have as much time as usual today, so my message must be short. And I'm okay with that, as I'm sure that you are. But don't get your hopes up. I'm never that short. I had no intention of wasting our time together. There are important things to say, and so they're going to be said. And they will certainly apply to those who call this church their home. But it, they can matter in your life too, whether you're part of this congregation or not. If, as Jesus used to say, you have the ears to hear. Our scripture reading this morning set the stage for the things that we're going to talk about. We've been making our way to church through the book of Acts. And the Apostle Peter was preaching that day to a great crowd of people. And that crowd was brought together when the Holy Spirit came. And there's really no other way to say it. But the Spirit came upon them in power upon 120 believers who were gathered in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem. And Peter took that opportunity to proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ that he had been crucified some 50 days or so earlier, but he had risen from the dead three days later after being laid in that tomb. And everyone in Jerusalem, those who lived there and those who were just visiting on that day, knew these things had happened. But they didn't quite understand it all. And so Peter told them that it was all part of God's plan to provide for the redemption of the world. And then as we read, Peter, Peter pled with them. He pleaded with them to put their faith in Christ. And 3,000 people did just that. 3,000 Jews and God-fearing Gentiles who were in Jerusalem to observe the Passover and the Feast of Weeks, which culminated in Pentecost. 3,000 new Christians. 3,000 new believers who had to be taught and shown what it meant to be a follower of Christ and how they ought to live their new life. So the church did four things to help them in their faith. And we read about that in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And last week when we were together, we talked about the first two of those things, the apostles' teaching and fellowship. The apostles' teaching still happens today as we open God's Word, the Bible. When we do that, we see not only what the Word says, but we do more than that. We, we see what it means. And once we understand it, once we hear it, once we understand what it means, then, then we know how to put it into practice in our own mind. And so the Apostles' teaching is still going on today, wherever and whenever those things are happening. Christian fellowship uh, it, it was the other thing that we looked at last week, and it's a real expression of deep friendship, which forms when people know Jesus personally. They share him, and they share their faith with each other, and they talk about him when they're together, and they talk about what he's doing in their life, and they talk about how their faith is being affected, and how it's growing, or or what they're struggling with. And fellowship like that, that helps us to realize that there was more going on there than just an exchange of information. The church provided those four things. But the people 
devoted themselves to them. They kept coming back for more. You couldn't keep them away. Even if you tried, they were committed to Jesus Christ and committed to one another. Now this week, we're going to look at the last two of those four things that they did for those new believers, the breaking of bread and prayer. And these two are going to take just a little less explanation than the first two did, so we're going to get right at it, okay? The breaking of bread means more than just eating together. It's a symbolic way of referring to the sacrifice of Christ. And the early church kept before their minds the idea of the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Not the mortal way. They never forgot that he rose from the dead. But they were very aware of what their salvation cost. Jesus had to die on a cross so they could be forgiven. And the Lord's Supper or communion is the principal way that that, that breaking of bread, the, the keeping of Christ's sacrifice before our minds, that's a principal way it's done. When we gather as a church, and this church is once every month, usually the first Sunday of the month. Some churches observe it every week. Others only once a quarter. But it's a principal way that we remember that. And when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're really doing three things simultaneously. First, we're remembering what he did when he died on the cross. And then we're actually proclaiming that as we're uh, partaking of it, right then and there, as we observe the Lord's Supper. And we're looking forward to a new day when we will eat together with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Every time the church gathers around that table and observes the communion, they remember, they proclaim, and they look forward to the day when we will be with our Savior. The early church broke bread together daily. They remembered the Lamb of God. Now that remembrance wasn't just reserved for those special times in the church gathered for that purpose. The bread and the wine were common. They were on every table in every home from the poorest to the richest in pagan homes and Jewish homes and Christians' homes. That was by design. For Christ is for everyone. And whenever Christians ate that bread and drank that wine, they remembered what Jesus did for them. Jesus said, whenever you drink this bread, or I mean, eat this bread or drink this wine, do it in remembrance of me. It wasn't just a church thing. It was part of their lives. And Christians had this long habit of praying before meals. And for some, it's become just a kind of a time of giving thanks, which is a good thing. And others make sure that they remember the cross, which is a wonderful addition to giving thanks. Now, now I, I just want to kind of make a couple observations about that, right? My family and I, we pray when we're together before we eat. We pray if we go out to a restaurant, if we're together. We pray when we're alone. We pray for our meals before our meals. But I just want you to understand that those kinds of things would really help you. And it's a good reminder every day, and for us in this country, three times a day, right? That Jesus loved us completely. But you don't have to be shown or long. The remembrance is enough. So pray when you have the opportunity. 
But don't feel like you have to. Don't turn it into kind of a rule or a regulation or a legalism. Figuring out how to love others who are with you is much more important than praying for them. But don't be ashamed of it either. The important thing is, in your heart, celebrate the Lamb of God and share that remembrance wherever you can. And the Spirit will guide you in those things that you still now the last thing uh, that the church offered the new believers that we're going to look at now was that those and those believers couldn't get enough of it, right? Was prayer. That was one of the four things they offered them, and I really want to be clear about this. A lot of people, when they think about prayer, if they ever even think about it, they think of someone in a somber, sonorous voice resonating and reverberating and speaking, flowing and flowering words. And they can't imagine ever speaking that way themselves, not even God. And I get it. I understand it. I don't mean that such a person isn't really praying. He may, she may be. I don't know. That's a matter of the heart, and I can't see what's in her heart. But I do know this. No one has to pray that way. Prayer is really just honest communication with God. And so when you're happy, you tell him. <laughs> you thank him. And you praise him. And when you're hurting, you pour out your heart to him. If you're feeling guilty, you, you confess. When you're in need, you ask. When you are in awe, you worship. That's prayer. Really, it's nothing more than that and nothing less. But what's really amazing is when you engage in that kind of thing, you soon realize if you really do it from your heart, you soon realize that God is right there with you. And he shares your joy, rejoicing with you uh, in the way that he would bless you. And when you pour out your heart to him uh, and, and you're feeling so empty, he fills you with himself. When you confess your sin, he speaks words of comfort and grace and mercy into your heart. He tells you that everything is okay, that he knows what you need, and behind it all is all planned, and you have some need, whatever that need might be. And when you worship him, he pours out his heart, his love into your heart, pours his heart into your heart. That's prayer. And when you experience something like that, you keep coming back from God. And I think the sad thing is, I think we... We often sabotage ourselves. We we kind of been saddled with uh, unrealistic expectations. And what we really need to do is just simply don't. We just need to do this. We need to we just begin in the presence of God. Just start there. Just know that you come in His presence and He's there in. And, 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 then, and then while you're there, you begin to try to fulfill the As you can, best for and you keep asking God to teach you how to pray. Those four things are what the early church provided for the new believers. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, or let's put it this way, the teaching of the word, sharing Christ in their faith with one another, remembering Christ's sacrifice and helping them to engage in real prayer. But those things never go out of style. 
We've never outgrown that. They are the way that we make our way through this life that we want to work through And lastly, when we were together, we applied those two first things to our young people. They apply to all of us, but we apply them specifically there. Because we understand something. We understand that soon enough, our young men and women will be launched into the world which has become increasingly hostile to our faith. We talked about how we could help them to be prepared for the spiritual battles that would come their way. And how also to be prepared to give an answer to those who ask them about the hope that's in them. I pointed out then how Sunday school could be used in a powerful way to that very purpose. And I hope you were here, and I hope you heard, and I hope that you'll be a part of what we're going to start doing beginning on January 19th. I hope you'll pray for us, and pray for us as a church, and pray especially for our children and teens. And we're already doing a lot of really good things for our young people here at White Hot Church. This is just one more part of that whole process. But it's an important part. And you have to tell you something. Even, even if we do what we talked about last week, even if we do it successfully, it's not enough. And last week I mentioned that you, moms and dads, and grandmoms and granddads, that you need to love your children, and you need to pray for them, and you need to live the faith yourself before them, that those things are the foundation on which we as a church can build into the lives of your children and your teens, your young adults. And without that, there's very little that we're going to be able to do. But if you're doing your part, and I know you are, and I hope you are, and I pray that you are, then we can come alongside of you as a church to help you and help your young people. But even then, our young people need those last two things in that list that we talked about this morning. They need to be reminded of the sacrifice of Christ. And they need to learn about prayer. And you want to know something about this thing? Those aren't the kinds of things you can teach in a classroom. Those are the things that are best learned by seeing godly examples. Examples in their home. Examples in the homes of their friends. Examples here in this church. As an old saw so concisely those, those things are more caught than taught. The way we live our faith, as we embrace those four things ourselves, that's how we show them the way. That's how we help them to follow. Now, I have one more thing to say here this morning uh, before we close, and, and I need to say it. Um, I want you to see the kinds of things that happen when a church puts these things into practice and people embrace them. There are two things which happen, and, and I'm going to say a little bit about each of those two things in your turn this morning, and then we're going to be done, and then we'll be discussed. The two things that happen when a church provides the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, and the people embrace those two things, the two things that happens is our hearts are changed, and so is the world around us. Now, I'm going to be quick about it. I'm basically just going to point you to those things, and maybe I'll come back to them at a future date for the now. And in this moment, I'm just going to point you there. First, our hearts are changed in at least four different ways. 
a deep and self-giving unity develops among followers of Christ. It's like nothing you will see anywhere else in the world. Verse 44 gives us an idea of it. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had name. How don't you understand this was not mandated? This is the fruit of love. Right? Let my life be the proof of your love. It was the fruit of the love that they had for Jesus Christ and for one another. It's like the love that we have for our children, right? I mean, when you love your children, you do anything for them, you sacrifice for them, right? And you never regret, not even for a moment, the things that you do for your kids. And we never regret the things we give our kids. We never regret this sacrifice either. And then to those people in that early church, their hearts were changed so that they wanted to be with other believers to more fully worship God. The beginning of verse 46 says this, every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. That temple was a place of worship, right? So they, they worshiped not because they had to, but because they wanted to. They worshiped God with other believers because something happens when believers come together and really worship. See, God reveals himself then in powerful ways. I've been doing this for a pretty long time. And, and, and I've been where we are right now today. I know there's some of you that are sitting there and you know that God's speaking in your heart. Some of you don't know him personally. Some of you are going through hard times. But, but God reveals himself in powerful and significant ways when we come together as a church. You come in here and you never know what's going to happen. You walk in here and, and you, you get more than you bargained for because God is with us and in our midst. And they were also drawn together. So they met in their homes so that they shared Jesus in their faith. Verse middle, verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. See, people on the outside, they don't get it, I think. Uh, but once you taste it, once you've got this kind of thing, you're always looking for it. I've said it before. I, I know you've heard me. I, I, but, but, but haven't there been those times in your life, like there been in my life, when you're with other believers? And you've been with them all day long, and the day is gone, right? And the food is all eaten. And, and, and the jokes, the old jokes are all told, and maybe things can be told, right? But still, still, you don't want to leave. You don't want to leave because your heart's home. It's a good thing. It is a taste of heaven. And, and lastly, we're changed because. We're full of joy and sincerity when we play and we praise God. So at the end of verse 46 and the beginning of 47, with glad and sincere hearts, they praised God. They were full of joy. They were sincere as they praised God. There's no contrivance here. There's no plot. There's no plan. Uh, it's not the fulfillment of just some kind of duty, but simply an overflow of the heart that comes out of the mouth. Like those times, they listen, man. When you see the love of your life, I'm 
nervous conversation. And you can't help but speak. And have you can't have so I love you so much. That's what happened when the early church got together. They couldn't help themselves. Faces came out of their mouth in joy and in sincerity and not because they had to That's how the leadership changed. But the world has changed too. See, really living the faith changes the way the people in the world see us. Not everyone, now, of course not. But many, even if we don't realize it, they see us differently. Look at the beginning of verse 47. And after he says the Christians were praising God, he goes on to say the Christians enjoyed the favor of all the people. See, those on the outside were looking in, and they liked what they saw. And that's the first step. It's an important step. It's the first step to what happens next. Have you ever had something to say different? I see something's different in your life. I, I want what you have. If, if you've never had something inside you that happened to her, things like that happen. When Christians <coughs> people on that side see it. And there's nothing outside you. They love, they give. They put everybody else before themselves. And people want that. They walk for it all of their life. And they didn't know it. They see it. And their attitude towards the faith changes. And then the last sentence of 47. It says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christians were living the faith, and the world was changed. And many on the outside came in from that cold, dark, and dying world. Pretty much the message today. You know, if we as a church provide those four things, the apostles teach fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, or put it another way, teaching the word, sharing our faith with other believers, Christ with other believers, remembering Christ's sacrifice and engaging in real prayer, prayer combined with the devotion to the message, we will have our own hearts change. And the world around us that we interact with will change too. We'll come to know the deep, self-giving unity that the early church had. We'll seek out worship with other believers. We will share our life together and especially our faith. And we will be full of joy and sincerity as we praise God. And our world's going to change. People are going to see it. They're going to want it. They're going to approve of it. And many of those will come to know Christ. They'll become our brothers and sisters for all eternity. Now, is that too big for us? Is that too big for us? Well, yeah. If it's just us alone. But we're not alone. God's with us. And this is what he wants for us. This is what he wants for life by the church. Just as he wants it for every other. So whether you're part of this church or not, if you don't have it, I'm a church. I'll say what I say to everyone who belongs in this place. 
who has joined the long ago or who counts themselves in our number, come. Come join us. Come join us as we advance the kingdom of God. Thank you. 